Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. All right, and welcome back to Inspiring Leaders. Let's face it, folks, the world needs more inspiring leaders. Because in reality, there are all kinds of leaders out there. Inspiring ones, mediocre ones, and well, let's just say not so good ones. So what do we do when we have an intolerable boss? Every month, the Leadership Brothers are going to come together to expose intolerable bosses and to explore what you can do to survive. On this, our very first episode of Intolerable Bosses, we're exposing the over-controlling bosses. But before we do, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the Intolerable Bosses show, the Otis Group at otusgroup.com. When I mentioned the idea of the Intolerable Bosses show to the great folks over at the Otis Group, they immediately extended their support. Why? Because we're all aligned in our belief that the world needs leaders worth following. So please support those who support us and check out the Otis Group at otusgroup.com for financial and risk management consulting and virtual CFO services. Now, I want to welcome the other half of the Leadership Brothers. All the way from Calgary, Alberta, one of North America's top executive coaches and my brother, Pat Lepovsky. Pat, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Show. Thank you in advance for joining me on this new series, Intolerable Bosses. This is a topic that comes up frequently in one-on-ones and in group settings, and it's something that is definitely one to back up with a bit more detail, not only on who they are, but how to deal with people. Yeah, it's true. Hey, we hear about this all the time. Let's start this off the way we like to start this show off, Pat. Let me ask you, what leader has inspired you and why? I come up with a list of people. There's different leaders that I've worked with for years, both male, female. One that comes to mind is a leader by the name of Deanna Jones. She's a leader that, quite frankly, has inspired me for so many years. It's interesting. She seems to have that philosophy of becoming very developmental with almost everybody she bumps into. But the fact is, is she's somebody who just knows where she's going and she knows how to develop others. Yeah, Deanna over at Marathon, right? Marathon Oil? That's right. Fabulous. That's a great example. You've been doing executive coaching since way before it was ever popular. (laughs) You worked with Action Business Coaching back in the late 1990s and a few other firms before you started your own company, Envision Group, a few years back. EnvisionGroup.ca. Now, you've been an executive coach for 17, 18 years. I formed Envision back when I first started coaching, when I was part of business coaching. It's interesting because my whole foresight when I first started into coaching was really to help good people become better leaders. And the whole concept of helping people become better leaders, it was a mainstay of mine back when I was in the corporate world. And it's something that uh, you find almost every single person you bump into. They always know they have potential and they always want to pursue it. It's interesting because over the years, working with senior executives, I bumped into a few people who had come from professional sport and wandered into the corporate life after they had hung up their skates or hung up their cleats. As a result, I've actually met a few people who are retired former professional athletes, and they had made introductions into that world too. And it's interesting because you look at a person like Deanna, you look at other people that we've coached, you, both you and I, really 
you, when you look at senior leadership, there's so many commonalities between sport and leadership in general, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think back about all of the people that you've worked with. You've supported executives and leaders at Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, not only in Canada and the U.S., but around the world. As you mentioned, you've also supported professional athletes in the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, as well as Olympic athletes. I can think of several Olympic athletes you work with. And I think that you've actually managed to rack up quite a few recognitions along the way. Top North American coach, top executive coach here in Canada. And I've been fortunate to learn a lot from you over the years, despite the fact that you and I both live about 3,500 kilometers, about 2,000 miles apart. So it's pretty cool when you and I get to partner up and work together on large leadership training programs or coaching initiatives. And that's why I wanted to team up with you on this. We're going to do this series of shows, one a month for a year, and we're calling this Intolerable Bosses. I know that there are many different flavors of intolerable bosses. You and I kind of flipped that coin and figured that we were going to start with what are the more common offenders, the controlling boss. Pat, tell us from your perspective, what is a controlling boss? They control more than they develop. They drive employees. They really depend on their authority, not on their influence. They inspire fear more than really building confidence in the other person. Sometimes the controlling boss might place blame. They always know how it's done versus asking others how they think it should be done. The old adage, they use people versus using money and working with people. They sometimes uh, come across as people who use others, sometimes take the credit. They command like the Arnold Schwarzkopf's of the corporate world. <laughs> they say, go and they say, me, what do you think of me? Right. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> we hear about this a lot. A lot of the folks that we work with, Oftentimes, one of the barriers that's preventing them from getting ahead happens to be somebody that they're working with or working for. I've bumped into people who work with that controlling boss. And the specific example is usually somebody who has probably worked with a controlling boss themselves over the scope of their career and they just haven't really learned any better. I was going to ask you, Pat, do you have any examples, like specific examples of this that we can showcase? Well, to begin, we've changed the names of the people involved to protect the innocent. Let's just say Nikki wrote in about her controlling boss. You know, this is something where from time to time I get emails from some of my clients. And let's call the boss Gus. Sounds like a good name for a controlling boss. <laughs> uh, you know, in the corporate world, she's a sales manager. She has a team of about eight people. She says her boss, let's call him Gus. So Nikki says that her boss, Gus, really assists on solving every single problem she has. And every time she brings him something, he's got the answer. Account managers, when they approach Gus as well, it's, it's always the same thing. And, and Nikki always feels like there's a really going above her because of the controlling boss, not only solving her problems, but also that of the account managers. So like if an account manager is working on a proposal, Gus will tell them how to position their products. He'll tell them what to say. And Nikki just sits back and feels she's being undermined. It's tricky. The boss is somebody she just isn't comfortable telling the situation because sometimes that controlling boss might make you feel to the point where it's almost a CLM, which is the acronym for a career-limiting move to give them feedback on this. And really, she wrote in saying, what do you do? They feel like they have the answers and they feel like they've got the experience and that's why they're the boss and their position gives them the authority 
to always know what to do, no matter what the question is. But from your perspective, Pat, what's wrong with Gus being a controlling boss? Like, what are the problems that are coming out? The interesting thing when you really look at it is that he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong because he's positioning himself. He thinks he's helping. Yeah. But what he's doing is he's actually taking away the confidence of the person who does it, probably has a great answer for the problem and isn't being given the chance to test it. So people aren't really thinking for themselves then? Well, they want to, but when the controlling boss comes in, they, more and more of the answer comes through, so more and more they back off and they just become complacent in their ways at times because they always expect that the boss is going to have the answer. Those around them, the team as we can call it, whether it's Nikki or, or her team, they really stop thinking for themselves. They just figure, well, Gus is going to figure it all out for us. Well, not to really give any indication of what business this is, but in the financial world, what happens is, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of leaders that's really it's, uh, you know, to solve the problem versus giving the person the opportunity to solve them in front of them. You know, I know in the financial world, leaders taught not to touch the paper. They're taught to have the person come up to them to explore what the problem is and what the solution is. But the controlling boss in this situation just wouldn't let Nikki do it. Well, I think about the focal point that this creates for decision making. Whenever there's a problem, there's only one guy, which is Gus, who's going to solve it. So what happens when Gus goes on vacation? <laughs> everybody waits. Everybody waits to, to come up with an answer until Gus gets home and, and work slows down. <laughs> yeah, it's like we hang a little shingle on the window saying, sorry, we're waiting for Gus to return so we can get back to work. Just stepped out back in 15 days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we can agree that working for a, a controlling boss, you know what, let's just be frank about it. It just plain sucks. But Getting back to Nikki's situation, what is it that she can do? She openly admitted that she isn't comfortable telling her boss what to do when she wrote to you, but what can she do, Pat? She does have a responsibility. Nikki has the responsibility to really give the boss some feedback with a very positive intention. And when you actually give feedback to somebody, no matter if they're beside, below, or above you on the organization chart, when feedback is crafted properly, you can actually have that leader really sit back and realize, uh, you know, one of their blind spots possibly in something they may not even realize. People don't come to work to maliciously harm people. And if they do, they shouldn't be working within that corporation. When you do approach somebody who does really in their heart think they're helping by giving the answers, sometimes when you give feedback with that positive intention, you can actually turn that leader to the point where you're really training them to become more ideal in some cases, but you're helping them become a better leader themselves, which is almost ironic. Yeah, and I love how you said doing it with positive intention, because I think a lot of times when you're frustrated, when things are not going your way and you feel like the control is being taken away from you, that can really raise the emotional level for you. Being intentional and really figuring out what your intent is before you approach your boss or Gus or whoever it might be, a really good point. That communication has to be there. And if I'm hearing you right, part of that communication and that feedback is in setting boundaries, right? When you show a person that a line has been crossed, you think if you came up to that general or the commander of the army and you told them that they're out of line, what's going to happen is you're going to get a finger in your face and maybe somebody's going to kick a garbage can and the voices are going to get louder and, and you're told you're offside. But it's interesting. It doesn't have to be that way. Terry, really, there's two things. Number one is setting boundaries. And number two is, you know, don't invite the control. So really, in setting boundaries of her role isn't clearly defined. The chances of overstepping her leadership position is pretty high, which is very normal. You know, Nikki and her organization should have clearly defined roles. And if they don't, it's up to her to really come up and, and clearly define what it is 
and and start to rate this stuff down because once you rate down some of the specifics of the role and you have that agreed to with your leader, whether they're commanding or not, or that uh, controlling boss or not, you come to some sense of a conclusion. And once it's written down, it becomes real. Decision-making and accountabilities are made more clear when they're written down. Yeah, for sure. Now, how about this don't invite control thing you mentioned? If you frame your presentation, it's something where overstepping by your leader is something that's minimized. If you're asking for approval, if you're always going to say, is this okay? Is that okay? They may jump to a solution and they're coming back to you in that fix-it mode with the answer again. Present an update. You demonstrate your authority as a leader, increasing you know others' confidence around you by making sure you, you spell it out, you gain acceptance and agreement on what that job description and the role description really is all about, and now you can really move ahead. Like, how about you, Terry? Like, what suggestions would you have that you've experienced out there? Well, I agree with everything that you've said. You know, I think that uh, communication and feedback is absolutely uh, foundational. You have to have that. And if you're afraid to do that, if you're afraid to approach your boss, then maybe there are some other issues that you need to start looking internally for. But I also think that you nailed it, Pat, when you said there's some responsibility here. And that's where I start with this. In addition to everything that you've said, I would say some control and disagreement is okay. And people need to have a little bit of a thick skin to realize, okay, wait a minute, we work in hierarchical organizations. That person happens to be at a higher level in that hierarchy than I am. So I think if you're going to ask for feedback from your boss, if you're going to look for their opinion on things, you need to stop and listen to it. Even if you don't like what's being said, you've got to accept what's been offered and tell them very sincerely that you appreciate their input, their perspectives, and tell them that you'll consider it. Now, if you disagree with their input, that's a different thing. I recommend there that you need to pause for a few minutes. Ask a few non-challenging questions. You know, you don't want to get the bosses back up against the wall. So try to frame it in a non-challenging way just to understand their point of view. So what do I mean by that? I would maybe say something like, help me understand this a little bit more. Can you walk me through that? You know, those are good examples of non-challenging questions. Even if they're not questions, they're sort of designed to elicit that feedback. Just as with your team, when you ask these questions, you're gaining more insight into that other person's thought process. That will help provide a little bit more perspective for you. Now, here's another thing I'll say. Some people need to be very blunt on this one and put it on the table. Some people just need to suck it up, right? Their role, if their role is clearly defined and still somebody's overstepping their authority on a constant basis, well, they can push back, but ultimately that's really not going to get them very far. I think in this one, you really have to start thinking about what's within your control and what's outside of your control. We're all human and overstepping is going to happen. So the key here is that you have to ensure that you're respectful of the other person's position and their authority. So in some respects, that boss, Gus, in this case, has every right to overstep. And if it's really creating that much problem for you, let me give you two options. You either need to accept that this is the way that it is, or if you can't accept it and it's becoming a problem for you to the point that it's becoming unhealthy, well, then you've got to start looking to get out. This isn't the right place for you. You can't change the tiger's stripes. And sometimes if it's beyond your control and you can't put up with it, that's where you need to just come to face facts and realize that you don't want those negative impacts on your health. And this, I think, is one of the points where a lot of people suffer needlessly too long. If they've got a controlling boss and it's causing them physical or emotional harm and it's significant and they can't change it, 
that's where they need to realize it and come to that realization that they need to get out. What do you think, Pat? Do you want to add anything more in here? Are we covering this fairly well? Well, you know, what I'd like to do is just add one final piece. It's kind of the, the five golden nuggets of making sure that you're aligned with your boss. No matter if it's a developmental boss or a controlling boss, here's five quick questions that you can bring back to them that would be the final step in, in ensuring that you have done everything you can before you actually suck it up. Okay, I, I've got my pen and paper out. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because here's the five questions. Like if, if you sat back and drafted answers to these, like number one, what does your boss or your leader need from you in the short and the medium term? Right. And, and you'll have your answers. The second is what does success in your role look like to your leader? Not to you, but to your leader. You've got to put yourself in their shoes. The third question is, what might you need to accomplish in your position that hasn't been done before? I love that question. Oh, yeah. That's going above and beyond for sure. The fourth one is, what does your leader need to see from you to foster a sense of relief that they have the right person in the right position? And the fifth one finally is, what are your internal customers and team members expecting most from you? So when you draft the answers to those five questions and you go to your, no matter who the leader is, whoever you report to. You negotiate what the answers should be, but you come with answers prepared as a stamped draft. Go into your supplies room and get a draft stamp and put draft all over this. Uh, or even watermark it behind the page that you're, you know, when you type it out and you're nice and neat and organized when you bring your answers. When you suggest or when you request a meeting with your leader, have these answers sent in advance and say these, you'd like to discuss these to make sure that you're perfectly clear. Role clarity and goal clarity is key. And with the answers to these questions, you'll come out of it your controlling leader starts to have the trust for you that uh, you may train and turn them around. Agreed. Absolutely well said. I'm going to put all of that in the show notes as well. The other thing I think that needs to be said here is that it really is situation specific, right? This is a great start for a lot of folks out there, but depending on the certain circumstances, there may be other things that need to happen. So I think if anybody out there is coming across this sort of thing, they've tried some of this, it's not working for them, just get in touch with us. You know, maybe a little brainstorming is all that's needed and we'll help and see if we can move the needle. The bottom line, I think, is that open, appropriate communication should be your goal. But listen, if the bullets are flying, duck and run. Uh, Pat, you know what? Thank you so much for joining us on the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more from you, especially on this ongoing monthly show that we've established here in our first one, Intolerable Bosses. I love the name. I just wanted to give you the opportunity because I know people are going to want to connect with you. How are people going to find you out there? Well, it's pretty simple. It's, uh, you know, if you want to text me, uh, I've got a cell phone number, 403-585-9601. If you're from the younger generation, and for those of us who are about uh, years in my age, Terry, it's the email address is pat.lipovsky, L-I-P-O-V is in Victor, S-K-I, at nvisiongroup.ca. So envisiongroup.ca. And there it is, our first episode of Intolerable Bosses. We hope you liked it, and we welcome your comments on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you have questions that you want the Leadership Brothers to tackle, email them to us at info at ubiquityleadership.com, or just take a look at the show notes for the link. And again, I want to extend a sincere appreciation to our sponsor for Intolerable Bosses, the Otis Group at otusgroup.com, a fabulous resource for financial and risk management consulting. Please support those who support us. Thanks very much, everyone, for tuning in. Take care and bye for now. 